Hello. Welcome to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list. My name is Clay and with me as always is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda? Uh, for now, I'm good. I don't know if I have have several days to stay alive after this. Nope. How many more? Five? Five? Two. Three? Two? Wait. Six? Six days now, right? Two now. Right two, now. Two now? Yes. Wow, that went fast. It always does. <clears throat> uh, we are talking today about 2002's The Ring, which I never thought about before, but I was, mm. uh, when I was looking, about, looking up stuff about this, someone mentioned that uh, the, the title has two meanings, because it is the ring okay. that they see in the well, Yes, but also the ring of the phone. I am really glad that you are also only coming to this revelation <laughs> now, because I also had that thought. And I was like, I am such a fucking idiot. Mm. <laughs> the whole thing is about when a phone rings. Yes. So I want to get into that. Sure. A little bit later. Yeah. We because, should probably do the intro stuff. Yes. First. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> this is number 192 on our list. It has hmm. a 71% Rotten Tomatoes score with a 48% audience score, huh. which I find very surprising because I was under the impression this was like a fan favorite. Yeah. This is sort of like universally seen as a decent scary movie. Yeah. I mean, it uh, kind of inarguably single-handedly caused a genre boom, right? Yeah. Because this was the first- real Japanese horror transplant. Yeah. Um, yeah, the grudge followed this, mm-hmm. and then people started getting into some of the more, actu- like the actually Japanese yeah, versions they of realized, movies. <laughs> they realized that people can read. Right. And, uh, yes. and decided to just start putting out some of the Japanese ones. Yep. Interestingly enough, the director of Ringu hmm. directed Ring 2. I felt like Mike Myers doing that for some reason. Huh. Uh, and uh, not good. Oh, not a great movie. So I've been so I've seen. But uh, um, he also directed the sequel to Ringu, which is a completely different movie than Ring 2. So the more the more, you know, I guess. Anyway, had you seen this movie before? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This 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 was a formative one. for I was going to say, yeah, I. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're a little bit younger than I am. So this was probably you were like early teens when this came out? I was like 14. 14? Yeah. yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, and it's it's actually, it's kind of funny because I think you and I have talked about this kind of thing and my husband and I have talked a couple times about this sort of thing, about sort of like your early or like formative movie memories, mm-hmm. like movie going or like, like you know, even movies you watched at home. But it, it's made me realize that I don't have many movie theater memories. Sure. Yeah. As like a child. Like I know I we went to them occasionally. It's funny cuz I don't really either. Mm. Like I have a couple yeah. from when I was very young. Yeah. And then Jurassic Park and that's it. Back, basically yeah. until I was in my teens. Right. So I I feel like I don't really have any strong like ah oh, yes when I was, you know, 9 years old and my parents took me to see The Lion King or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I, th- I think they did take me to see The Lion King. I don't think I was 9. I think I was littler. I think you're you're unlocking Hidden, hidden memories for me because I do also remember going to see The Lion King and Aladdin, so I definitely yeah. did. Yeah, yeah but I, I feel I feel like this is a long roundabout way of saying this is sort of like a core memory for me going mm. to see The Ring in the theater. Yeah, because it was PG thirteen, and Ooh. I was fourteen. Yes, so I could go with my friend and no adults. Is this the first movie you went without adults? 
I, I want to say yes. Factually, that might not be mm-hmm. true, but in my memory, in terms of like importance and, and, and having something have an effect on me, yeah. And I remember sitting there with another 14-year-old girl mm-hmm. <laughs> watching this movie about like it starts off with a couple teenage girls, one of them dying horrifically, yes. and just being like, we have made a huge mistake um, and then sitting through the whole movie and by the end of it coming out and my friend being pretty much like, I'm never going to sleep again. I'm traumatized forever. And me being like, that was the best thing that has ever happened to me in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I had a similar experience. The mm. first movie that I went to without an adult was mm. Street Fighter. Oh, wow. And I also... Formative moment for Clay. <laughs> I also came out saying this was a huge mistake. This was a huge mistake. <laughs> Um, but yes, so I, ha- I have seen this. I saw it in the theater. I've seen it a few times since then. Mm-hmm. Not, not, I feel like I maybe rewatched it a couple of years ago. I, I think maybe in the depths of COVID early days, sure. you know, three years ago at this point. Um, or maybe even a little bit before that. I actually do have a very formative young mm. childhood movie going experience. That is, I, I feel like you will be able to relate to this. Oh boy. <clears throat> Um, I don't like spiders. Yep, neither do I. Yes. <laughs> and um, my mom, being a, a, an observant parent, knew this. But for some reason, she decided to take me to go see the movie Arachnophobia. Oh, God, I knew that's what you were going to say. And, oh. and was she mad at you? I It didn't go well. What had you done, Clay? She claims now. <laughs> she claims now. That it was, she thought maybe it would help me kick my fear of spiders. <gasps> no, But it Mom. did not. No. No. No, that's not how that works. To be fair, and this is, I'm, I'm <laughs> this, these are stories that my mother always jokes, the only person you should tell this to is your therapist. But she also, she also, um, one day when my sister was home sick from school, mm. dis- said, you know what movie we should watch? My, my sister- is a vegan. She wasn't at the time, but yeah. she's always been an animal lover. I have a feeling I maybe know why she's vegan now. It's about what you're about to say. She said, you know what we should watch? There's this movie that I love called Old Yeller. <gasps> no. And she forgot how the movie ended. <gasps> no. <laughs> and and I, I, I said to her, how, that's the only thing yes. anybody remembers about that story yes. is how the movie ends. <laughs> That's and big. so I believe she, I think she, it got to a point where she's like, well, that's the end of the movie. And she just shut it off. Oh. But, <laughs> and they mm-hmm. have this nice old dog yep. forever and ever. The mm-hmm. end. Yes. So. Yes. Uh, the ring, however. Yeah. I did. Uh, did I see the ring in the theater? I believe mm. I did. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say yes, because I don't know if I've seen it since then. Wow. I can't. I know years ago. Uh, one Halloween, mm-hmm. you know, we, we would we go to our varying house to do pumpkins and movies and stuff like that. I know yeah. we did Ringu one year, mm. but I can't remember if we did like a back to back kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, that's know. at least ten years ago, yeah. so it's been a while since I've. This is one where it's like I haven't seen it very many times, but I mm-hmm. feel like its impact was large enough that I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I know the Ring. I know what happens in that movie. Yeah, I, I can tell you everything that happens in the did that I did that i was gonna say did, was that feeling true or was that just a just a story you were telling that story well no because i did not remember how this movie started at all mm. i think i mostly remembered the very end mm-hmm. and uh the closet scene 
Yep. And then the middle is like, oh, yeah, then they do other stuff. I actually thought this was the one with Bill Pullman in it. I kept waiting for Bill Pullman to show up, but he's in The Grudge. Ah, got it, got it. Isn't that one with Sarah Michelle Gellar? Sure is. Uh, Not that I favor that or anything, but... (laughs) uh, We're going to take a quick break and play you the trailer, and then we will be be right back. Because that is the videotape that kills you when you watch it? You start to play it, and it's like somebody's nightmare. And as soon as it's over, your phone rings. And what they say is, you will die in seven days. Katie told you she was going to die. She told me. She said she didn't have enough time. Did you say that I'm gullible? No. Easily rattled? A little highly strung, maybe. I watched the tape. I'm not going to get all worked up over some rumor. Show it to me. Miss Keller, I'm bothered by these drawings. Why did you draw that house? She told me to. Who? Who told you to? She tells me things. Before you die, you see the ring. The images on the tape are leading us somewhere. He's showing you the horses. Don't you understand, Rachel? Tell me, Liz. What is it you think you know? Hello? Before you die, you see the ring. You see the ring. Okay, The Ring from 2002, directed by Gore Verbinski, written by Aaron Kruger, based on the novel by Koji Suzuki, and a screenplay by Hiroshi Takahashi. And this one stars Naomi Watts, Martin Henderson, who, uh, he plays Noah. Oh, okay. And I didn't recognize him from anything. I looked him Mm -hmm. up. You know who he is? He's the porn producer from X. Oh, shit. Yeah, Maxine's boyfriend. Wow. Yeah, not in a million years. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, David Dorfman, <laughs> Amber Tamlin, the voice of Lilo from Lilo and Stitch, Davy Chase, and Logan Roy, a.k.a. William Stryker, a.k.a. Agamemnon, a.k.a. Hannibal Lecter, the great Brian Cox. Mm. Brian Cox using his Hannibal Lecter vaguely not yeah. <laughs> not European accent. Yeah. <laughs> I kept waiting for him to... Somewhat menacing, yes. somewhat charming. I kept waiting for him to say, would you like to leave me your home phone number? If he leaves. <laughs> Uh, Amanda, what happens in the ring? It sounds like just another urban legend. A videotape filled with nightmarish images leads to a phone call foretelling the viewer's death in exactly seven days. Newspaper reporter Rachel Rachel Keller is skeptical of the story until four teenagers all die mysteriously exactly one week after watching just such a tape. Allowing her investigative curiosity to get the better of her, Rachel tracks down the video and watches it, 
Now she has just seven days to unravel the mystery. Mm-hmm. That summary was a little weird, in fact, that it didn't mention that one of those teenagers was her niece. It What? The summary that I just read. Yeah. Did not mention that one of the teenagers who dies watch, from watching oh, the Oh, right. Is Amber her... Tamblyn is her niece, yes, right? Yes, it is her niece. That's, you know, honestly. <laughs> Did you not also not? No, I don't think so. Like there, I so one of the things about this movie that mm. I said when we were watching it is at mm. the time when I saw this, mm-hmm. I had a severe case of attractive blonde lady also, blindness. What did you say white Australian lady face blindness? Face blindness. Because <laughs> I legit, I the only movie I had ever seen Nicole Kidman in up to that point was mm-hmm. Batman Forever, mm. and I had never seen Naomi Watts in a movie before, oh. and for some reason, I thought Naomi Watts was Nicole Kidman for like half the movie. <laughs> And then when she goes to her sister's house, where mm. it's another blonde lady, uh-huh. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> there are two Nicole Kidmans? Three now. <laughs> well, Clay, you will not find Nicole Kidman in this movie. I know that now. But some things you will find include mm-hmm. Haley Foe Osment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good kid actor. <laughs> yeah. He's he's one of the A-plus creepy little kid actors of the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. I... I kind of forgot about the sixth sense until Mm. our friend pat Mm -hmm. made that joke yes um thanks pat but i kept thinking oh this is like the horror movie version of the kid from jerry Maguire." yeah but i guess that's sort of like the starting point of that damien from the omen yeah but like the 90s had this influx of like precocious kids who yes. were like a little bit more well-spoken than they should be yes starting i think yes. in jerry Maguire. so who i had a certain worldview or ability to see things right whether philosophically or literally different. speaking truth from the mouths of child yes. yes yeah uh so this is another one mm. he's very good yeah he's excellent yeah, yeah he's a good very good child actor uh you'll also find horse suicide horse suicide a first for us yeah in 76 <laughs> yes. movies honestly i don't know if i've ever seen another movie with a horse suicide in it. i don't really think i need to yeah it was you pretty know, disturbing it's pretty brutal actually uh tina belcher's bedroom yes the uh the the, the little the little place that they keep uh samara <laughs> it has has big tina belcher vibes I think. yes yeah little girl's bedroom she likes horses full of horses uh pop-up face hall of fame inaugural class member samara yeah so um <laughs> that's the thing about this movie there's like two moments yes that I feel like are the things people remember from this movie and kind of mm. not really anything else. And mm. I don't really know if you need anything else, mm. but they're very effective. Yes. Uh, questionable parenting, but like benignly questionable parenting? Yeah, I mean, I guess she leaves the tape around to the, to the point that her son can watch it, but I mean, is that really her fault? <laughs> I mean, that's where the questionable part comes in. Yeah. Right? Because if I she guess didn't, that is the question. If she didn't, that would be, she'd actually be, you know, maybe not questionable, just not great. Yeah. yeah. She's doing her best. She's doing her best. Single, yeah. single mom in it. Working reporter who yeah. never files a story. <laughs> Constantly on the verge of getting fired. <laughs> and the last thing you'll find in this movie includes sadness. Yes. Lots of sadness. Lots of sadness. Lots of sadness. Lots of green sadness. Yes. Bluish, greenish, mm-hmm. David Fincher sadness. They discovered the green button yes. on the color time and computer program, <laughs> and they hit it every scene. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, The Ring. 
this I as I said I completely did not remember how this movie opened with the the two girls that really TV. surprises me because I feel like that's one of the more iconic sequences of this movie well it's weird because I re- I think I was getting it mixed up with the thing that I watched most recently that opened like this is Scream 4. And so, which is almost identical to this because it's like a Russian doll situation of of girls watching horror movies. And then I think they also spoofed this in Scary Movie. Oh, I'm sure. I think. Yeah. And so I didn't even put together that's where that came from. Yeah. And so I was really surprised to for the beginning of this movie to be two girls kind of like in a very post scream meta kind of way yeah talking about the dangers of television yes the urban legend of the of the the tape and the phone yeah and the fact that we're all losing brain cells because of the radio waves from our televisions right yeah um i did like uh, that they were dressed sort of vaguely reminiscent of Japanese schoolgirls. Yeah. That's sort of a bit of a, a nod to the original. Yeah. Uh, and I also didn't realize that the 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 closet scene happened so early. Yeah. Which I so I started like doing the math in my head. I was like, wait a minute. So does the does the closet thing happen now? Like right at the beginning, and then it didn't, and then they go to, and then it, then it got me because I right. wasn't. Yeah, because you thought like, oh, I guess I, just, I guess it's a de- it's a later thing. Yeah, yeah. So, but you identified with with the with the the opening of this film when you watched it the first time. Absolutely, because I mean, I was almost the same age as these girls. Mm-hmm. They think in the movie they're supposed to be sixteen, and I was fourteen, and I went to a Catholic high school. So I, you know, I didn't have those uniforms, but like hanging out on like a Friday night, mm-hmm. having your your best friend come over for like a sleepover directly from school mm-hmm. talking a bunch of you know precocious bullshit because you're precocious bullshit teenagers and just giving each other like kind of like a gentle ribbing about stuff yeah you know like when when she's telling the story about having watched the tape and she mentions that she watched it when she was away the weekend before with Josh her secret boyfriend yes and the other girl is like you were with Josh oh my god you ho and like kind of they start like you know like play fighting Mm -hmm. like that was all very very familiar to me Mm -hmm. like they felt like very real teenage girls yeah in my opinion like they i I was i always liked that opening because i buy it like i i buy that they're teenagers i buy that they're friends they feel real to me in a way that makes what happens to them feel like have more of an impact yeah um I was also and kind of still continue to be a bit of a like ephemera pack rat in terms of like scraps of paper mm-hmm. and you know voluminous notebooks full of like random notes and cutouts and doodles and shit. So like that's a big plot point throughout the movie of Katie's like book. Right, yeah. Where they keep finding like things she clip like clippings she made or like drawings she did and I'm like that also strikes me as very like oh yep. I had a bunch of those. Yeah, I, I think the one thing that I really forgot about this, mm. and I don't know if this is a, a a result of this thing becoming so big and becoming such a pop culture touch, touchstone, mm-hmm. I completely forgot uh, about the urban legend nature of the whole thing. Mm. Like, I didn't remember where they got the... Did I remember? I kind of remember where they got the tape from, but mm. not really. But I... When she starts going through the story of 
have you heard about the first of all how did the friend hear about this thing <laughs> i mean well if there were four people who watched the tape mm-hmm. like for, well first of all how did the tape get there so were there people before them right well that's an interesting question that i want to talk about later okay but but for the sake of this of this <clears throat> portion of our discussion yeah um there were four teenagers who a week before mm-hmm. watched this tape of course they've gone to school and talked to people about oh my god but how did they know well because they <laughs> like where does where is the where is this urban so but I, so, so they is, watched they watched a creepy tape yeah and then a, the phone rang oh that's true and they picked yeah. it up and a creepy voice said seven days mm. and they're like what is that supposed to mean are we gonna like die or something i yeah. guess we're gonna die haha and then you start talking bullshit to your friends. Yeah, okay, that yeah. tracks. But yeah, I, I had forgotten that there was this very urban legend sort of mm-hmm. uh, thing built into it. So when she starts like just laying it all out, mm. I was like, oh, okay, uh, yeah. It's it's very fun. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's, I think it works better than a lot of movies that have tried to do this since then. Mm. Like, I feel like you could say like a descendant of this movie is something this sort of predates the creepypasta the idea yeah absolutely and then movies that were created from that like slender man or something totally and i think where those movies kind of fail this actually succeeds Mm -hmm. uh and i'm not totally sure why i think partly because they treat it fairly seriously and actually have people do interesting things in the course of two hours instead of just bullshit but (laughs) <laughs> um, I really, I really appreciated the the urban legend aspect because it's it's weird, right? Because you get mm. it, it sort of sets up this thing as either something that could work mm-hmm. as a sequel, mm-hmm. like it's an urban legend, mm. so that means it really could. It doesn't have to just be limited to this one thing. But at the same time, they also solve the mystery at the end. Yeah, which is I I do want to talk about the ending because the ending's a little bit weird to me that they solve it and the kids like actually no that was what you weren't supposed to do I don't know yeah. I think it, I think it's a little bit in service we'll get, of you will get yeah there. we'll get there <laughs> but I I do I do like the um the uh, urban legend aspect of it and I'm uh, it's uh, it, it makes it more relatable I think because everybody yeah. sort of has those stories and stuff yeah those stories especially like high school aged kids passing along those stories and sort of trying to like trying to scare each other with it Mm -hmm. a little bit but like maybe believing in it maybe not maybe trying to pretend like they don't but they're scared of it anyway um this also might be jumping a little far ahead but one of the things i love about this movie and i feel like again it might it probably has a lot to do with my age when it came out but the mix of like technology and analog Mm. stuff like it it it's easy to forget <laughs> now because it feels both so long ago and 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 was but in some ways was not that like yeah we had like computers and cell phones mm-hmm. and you could scan shit out of a physical book but like you didn't scan it and then upload it into a cloud and then like read it on your phone right they were printing shit in this movie right. this is a big movie for for the epson yeah. desk jet <laughs> yes Ryko copiers yes um but i kind of love that about this movie that there is this sort of like emphasis on documentation mm-hmm. 
in, in this very old school physical way that nowadays would not be the same. Yes. Because I think it, it, it drives a lot of the action of the movie because she has to like physically go places mm-hmm. and find stuff and then like compile it. And then, you know, there's like a dossier by the end of this book. Right. Yeah. By the end of this um, movie that's, that's like a book sized mm-hmm. like clippings and all of this and all of this stuff. And I feel like that actually helps make the urban legend aspect of it work really well mm. because it's still a recording. Like it's a tape. It's a recording, but it's not something you can just email to somebody. Right. It's not something that's right. posted on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's not something that people are getting off of an app on their phone. It's like a physical thing that you have to be a kind of unlucky enough to, to come across. Yeah. Um, which I find really interesting because nowadays I find like some of these, some movies that try and do this kind of thing, it, it, it can get a little complicated where it's like, well, if this was just on, out on the internet, then like everyone would see it and just like millions of people would start dying. Like, right. You know, yeah. you know, like Samara would be very busy. Yeah. Um, you, you, you clearly haven't seen Rings from about six or seven years ago. I have not and I do not want I'm to. I'm going to talk about in a second. <laughs> yes. Um. But I think that that because it is like an analog thing, mm-hmm. it keeps it contained in a way that makes the story more interesting, in my yes. opinion. Yeah. That there is like a literal and figurative paper trail. Mm-hmm. And it also just can't be written off with like, oh, just delete it off your phone, idiot. You know right. what I mean? Right. It's like, no, this thing is out there and there's no way to track it. Um, One of the notes I kind of made was that nowadays, if you were a teenager, if you were 15 and you were watching this movie for the first time, the fact that somebody watched a video and then someone knew you watched that video and was able to call you would be way less creepy. Right. Because, you know, I'm not, I don't know, like, but there's like ways you could explain that nowadays. Yeah. Like is Samara leaving a lot of voicemails now? Because people will pick their phone. It's a blocked number. It's not even a voicemail. It's a text. (laughs) I feel like Samara isn't up on the times enough to know that people. T- I think I feel well, like she's still calling. Does your voicemail not just give you voice to text? Like, yeah, I guess it does. Yeah, it, I just <laughs> get a transcript of my voicemails. I don't even listen to them. Although anymore. it's 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 not very accurate, so it would just the the voice to text would just see seventies. <laughs> but how mad would Samara got, get if you like left her message unread? You know, if you had like read receipts on. She's staring at her phone. It's like, oh, they read it, yeah. but they're not texting <laughs> they're me not back. Texting me back. Um, yeah. Well, one of my favorite things about this actually is is that uh, you know how much I love a good magic book, mm. and this movie comes out at a time where um, documenting things and media is in a very transitional period. Yeah. So the internet exists. It's mm-hmm. starting to heat up, but it's not the the beast that it is now mm-hmm. um but we're still in the age of vhs tapes like this came out on vhs yeah this movie came out on vhs it, dvds haven't taken over yet streaming doesn't exist yeah i and, mean dvds are like out there and around yeah, at this they point, exist but, but they haven't if you're if your video replaced. library is split then that would be normal right um and what this actually does really well is it bounces kind of back and forth and gives you a little bit of everything yeah so it has her looking stuff up on the internet but Mm -hmm. that usually serves to drive her backwards in time more 
towards mm. the more analog stuff. Right. Um, where she then has to go to like the town archives or whatever and yeah. like dig back through these giant leather books. She's using everything. She's using yep. like uh, giant old <laughs> newspapers. I think she's mm-hmm. using like microfilm at some point. She's yep. using VHS tape. She's yep. using the internet. She's using yep. everything. She's and got a digital camera. Yep. Digital camera. She's got a cell phone. Yep. So does Noah. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've always felt that, and I've, I don't know if I've, I feel like I've probably talked about this before, but mm. when it comes to this sort of stuff, I always say that analog is a better storytelling device than mm-hmm. digital, like mm-hmm. almost always, mm-hmm. um, because there is something more tangible about it. Yeah. And it isn't as ephemeral and like, like you're saying about it's not just mm-hmm. a YouTube video. Right. That, it's, that it kind of breaks your story a bit because it's like, wait a minute, this has like 14 million views. Yeah. <laughs> or it's just not as interesting to watch a character sit in right. front of their computer. Yeah. And like, because the way we do research for things now is we just sit in front of our computers. Right. Like you don't even need to take your laptop to the library anymore. All the all these things are accessible online. Yeah. It's a lot more interesting for her to do a little bit of digging on her computer. Realize that these records are kept at the historical society of Mm -hmm. Moesco Island. And then she needs to actually go out to the island to get her hands on them. Right. The modern version is she goes to the Moesco Island library website. Yes. Types in what she's looking for. Yes. It doesn't come up and she's like, this interface is terrible. I don't know why they haven't updated this. It's like they're still using Dewey Decimal System. But... But yeah, like in in I haven't seen Rings, but I mm-hmm. I, I was doing a little bit of ser- searching into the sequels and stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, of course Rings came out like f- six years ago, I think. Jesus. Yeah, and so you've got someone clicking an MOV file oh, that opens God. up the video, and then there's a certain point in the in the trailer where every TV screen on the backs of seats on an airplane switch onto the video. <laughs> Which is kind of great, but also really stupid. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, it's like it's it. it uh, th- turning this digital takes away, yeah, <clears throat> so much of the uh, impactfulness of it because yeah. that it doesn't become something that's interesting to be searched for. Right, right, and the way it's spread is like too easy. Yeah, like it, and it can be. I don't know. I just I find that a lot less interesting that it could just be like some malicious asshole sends a bunch of people a link. Yeah. It also, I find it dates stuff horribly. Yeah. <clears throat> like, is as, even if you're trying to do, like, the the most up-to-date technological thing, mm-hmm. for some a story like this, mm-hmm. you're going to come back and watch this not even five years later and go, ugh. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. But what they've done here is they do, they straddle things really well, mm-hmm. where you've got, <clears throat> you've got these now um archaic uh media forms yeah but it still works because it is tangible it is something that you can that these people can hold and manipulate right for whatever reason when it comes to stuff like magic books and like Uh curses and shit Uh it's better to do that than to get into a youtube hole and end up on like an (laughs) angel fire website from 1993 (laughs) well not to say that those aren't fun too no i mean it's like if it's got the I want to see Samara's website where it's like it's got the video, mm-hmm. but you can't. It's like you can't click on it because the 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 flash plugin needs to be updated. Yep, and it has one of those little uh, gifs of of the construction guy. Yep, 
that's been there for 14 years. Lime green text on a black starry background. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, so in this movie, we start off with it with the teenage girls. Mm-hmm. It ends, that's, that scene ends in Katie, who's uh, Amber Tamblin getting yep. killed by we don't know what. Yep. I will say, mm-hmm. uh, the moment that people get ringed, mm. kind of a letdown. Like it's yeah because they build it up so well and then it's like and then it's just kind of over you know I was you mean when they get rang yeah <laughs> um but I mean how do you you know it's kind of tough it's a PG thirteen movie you can't yeah I mean I don't want her head to explode or right something, but I don't know there was just something yeah. about the effect where I was like I don't know I, was, I, don't know, I, was, I guess I was w- hoping for something a bit more yeah more of a payoff yeah that's fair um but so then we we switch our narrative from these girls to Rachel and, and her son Aiden. Mm-hmm. So Rachel's sister was Katie's mom. Yes. So she was Katie's aunt. You know this because she is also blonde. She's also blonde. Yes. Identical blonde ladies. Um, and one thing well, I really, Naomi Watson, this movie might be one of the most attractive women I've ever seen in my life. So, so beautiful. <laughs> I mean, she's so beautiful in general, but right. yeah, in this movie, she looks for some reason, just the, I'm like, I don't know. Back Almost yeah. back to back. This and Mulholland Drive for her. Yeah. Wow. Good year. Yeah. Two years. Um, But so I I like the choice of Rachel as a, as a protagonist, as mm-hmm. a focal character, because A, she has a natural attachment to this story. Mm-hmm. Like her, her niece dies and she right. kind of fig- finds out that there's this weird mystery behind it. Because not only has her niece mysteriously died... The three kids she was spending her weekend with the week before are also all dead. Mm-hmm. And she's an investigative journalist. Yes. So it makes, like, I like that it makes sense. It doesn't feel like, you know, we, we've talked in some of the Giallo movies we've done where it feels kind of weird sometimes. Yeah, she's not a piano player. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, why are the cops just, like, letting you run right, around yeah. in all of this? And, like, why why are you putting yourself into this situation? And how would you even know where to start? Do you know what I love about this movie? Mm. You know what is not in this movie? A single cop frame? Plot. No cops in this movie. No cop plot. I don't know what there, they're doing. There are maybe cops when they get her out of the well. Sure. Yes. Okay. At the end, yes. the cops show up after everything's right. said and done. Right. But it's very much a scene of like, the the this this segment is over. Yes. <laughs> like there's we have no, found a resolution. There's no moment where no. she goes to the cops nope. and is like, what are you doing to find out what happened to my niece? And they're like, yep. stop it, lady. We're the cops. <laughs> we handle this stuff. Like it, Go home, that lady. Aren't you a mother? Yeah. I don't know if they're even looking into this death or right. these other deaths. Probably not. I mean, Seattle's a pretty dangerous. It looks I... like it takes place in the same city as Seven. Yeah. So. Yeah, it does. <laughs> wow. The fact that those might be in the same universe is blowing my mind right now mm-hmm. um but i don't think they are because there there's this the early in the movie when they have the 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 cousins wake um or the post-funeral mm-hmm. party at her Where mom's house adam brody shows up for a couple seconds <laughs> adam so Bro- the oc's adam brody oh my god um very very late 90s early 2000s reference right there oh yeah um She's in the kitchen talking, Rachel's in the kitchen talking to her sister and her sister is kind of like angrily slash brokenheartedly washing dishes mm-hmm. and and it's kind of a quiet conversation and I feel like in the 
background, Rachel's maybe kind of looking at stuff or mm. like, you know what I mean? It's, it's sort of almost hard to pay attention to, mm-hmm. but, but the, the sister is saying things like, you know, they're telling us like that it, it might've been drugs, but she didn't do drugs. They didn't find any drugs. Um, but a 16 year old's heart doesn't just stop. And they keep telling me that it must've just been some, some freak thing. But like, that's, that's when she has the moment where she, she says to Rachel, but I saw her face. I just, I have this great image of like Mm -hmm. chief Wiggum being the person running this investigation and, and, and the mother being like, but what about her face? And him being like, yeah, that happens. They do yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a post death sad face. Yeah. Um but I, I kinda like Once you die, the face falls off real quick. Yeah. <laughs> Little known fact about dying. Um but I feel like this is just like a small I'm I'm like zeroing in on this one little example of like a bigger trend in this movie that I actually really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Because like we've said in other movies, where they try to go too hard into the exposition. And they try to like lay it all out in front of you. Mm-hmm. And it's just like cumbersome dialogue. This movie does a little bit of that with the with the videotape itself. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that with like Samara and her family. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the characters we're watching who are currently alive. It's all these kind of like little moments and conversations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you're not like. There's no big conversation where the sister says to Rachel, well, I just don't understand why Noah isn't here. I mean, I know you guys split up like four years ago and I know he doesn't see Aiden, his son very often, but he really should be here to support him. Doesn't he know how much Katie and him meant to one another? Like you don't get a lot of that. You don't get a lot of like, well, you, it sounds like you've been struggling at the newspaper to find a story or that one scene you know, at the newspaper is kind of weird. It is kind of weird, but like <laughs> it's like they cut it out of a Superman comic or something, yeah. where Perry White comes over and goes, "Lois, I need another. You're fired unless you get yeah. me a new thing." He's like, "I'm on it, Chief. Yeah. I got a real good story." He's like, "Well, I, all right, all right, fine." Um, but I, but I kind of like that about this movie that yeah. it doesn't it doesn't take a ton of time to sort of say like, you know, this is Rachel. Rachel once had a fling with Noah and that's how Aiden was born. And now Rachel throws herself into her work because she doesn't think she's a good mom. And like, it sort of just lets those things coast until they become a little more important to the story. That's the thing. And that's what I think when I watched this the first time, Mm -hmm. I didn't really pick up on that Yeah, because I remember being kind of confused yeah. By the funeral scene. Yeah. And this time I was also kind of a little confused because I forgot <laughs> about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so like the way that they lay it out is she goes to pick up. So Amber Tamblin dies. Yes. What's her name? Katie. Katie. Katie dies. Mm. And then uh, we switch over to Rachel who mm-hmm. goes to pick up her son. Yes. And the teacher's like, oh, he's been doing these weird drawings. And then she's like, yeah. oh, his best friend just died. And I'm yeah. thinking- I was like, it's ten year old died. I I did I wasn't connecting because yeah. they there's no reason to connect that at that point. And then they go to the funeral, right? Where there are pictures of her, of Katie and Aiden, right? You're like, oh, this is the best friend. Was she yeah. a babysitter? They do kind of when she talks to the teacher, she kind of they kind of get into it, but they don't make a big point of it. Yeah, which is one thing that I feel like is surprising about this movie is that some of the like side conversations feel very natural Mm. like language wise like they don't 
they don't like hit certain information harder to draw the attention the attention of the audience yeah. they just sort of like are two people talking about stuff like when she's talking to the teacher you know she, she the teacher's like i'm concerned about these drawings and she's looking at the drawings and she says oh yeah that's definitely katie mm-hmm. and then the teacher's like i you know has he talked to you about katie dying and the mom's like, well, not really, but obviously they were close. They spent four nights a week together. Mm. So all that kind of comes out in the yeah. conversation, but there's like, it, they don't make a big deal out of it. And your eyes are so focused on the drawings. Yeah. And that's... then they move off of it really fast. Yeah. Like then she's taking Aiden and they're in the car and then they're getting ready for a funeral. And then when they have the funeral. Yeah. <clears throat> I think they're storytelling through blonde ladies. Yes. Where they don't ever like explicitly say that these are sisters. Right. Don't think. Right. They 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 have said at this point Katie was Aiden's cousin. Yeah. Which implies that they are sisters. Right. And they look the, like Their the hair same person. Also implies, yes. yes. <laughs> um but the but yeah, you you kind of actually have to do a little bit of work. Yeah. Like mental work. Yeah. And I find that very interesting because I think most times these movies don't make you do work at the beginning. Right, right. They're just trying to lay this st- shit down as quickly as possible yes. to get to the good stuff. But yep. like, they're almost kind of priming you mm-hmm. to 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 focus in on details, right? To get you ready for what whatever yes. is coming next <laughs> once they hit you with the video, right? And the and the 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 story that comes after it, the uh, investigation that she goes through. Yes. And it's, I, I'm, it's kind of impressive actually. I think so. I, I think it's kind of underrated. I think people tend to, they tend to brush it off as saying like, well, this movie doesn't make much sense or yeah. this movie, you know, who, who is that? Who are these people? And mm-hmm. it's like, well, if you kind of notice the little things, you can connect the, these dots. I think people just don't expect to encounter that in this kind of horror movie. Yeah, for instance, the um, the scene where she brings the tape to Noah's gigantic yes. loft apartment. Ridiculous industrial chic loft. Yeah, that would cost like $5,000 a month to rent now, oh my if God. not more. I was going to say, probably yeah. more, depending on where it was located. Yeah. Well, it, it's I guess it's Seattle, but yeah. there's a fun, <laughs> fun fact about this. When they start talking about the kids and where they went to school, mm-hmm. um, they reference one of the kids who dies being from Back Bay, yeah, and he went to Revere. Went for to me. Revere Hot Revere yeah. High School. Yeah, and so we're, we were watching this. We're both from Boston, going. There's, but this is supposed to be Seattle. I right. think. Do, do yeah. they also? Does Seattle also, also have, have a Revere suburb or something? And apparently, originally, it was written to be in Boston, but they decided that Seattle, the gloominess of Seattle, <laughs> fitted better, worked better. So they moved it to there and just didn't change it because who gives a shit? <laughs> and I, I would agree. Yep. Um, <clears throat> where was I going? Oh yeah. The scene where she takes the tape to Noah's loft. Yes. And then the other girl shows up. Uh-huh. Who they never explicitly say if she's a girlfriend mm-hmm. or if she's an assistant or yep. if the, she's an assistant and they're kind of having an affair or something. Yep. But there's enough in the air to make it awkward for Rachel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you know? Noah tries... When Noah introduces her... She's like, oh, yeah, this is uh, so-and-so. She's a student at whatever um, um, school. She's she's assisting me on some projects. Mm-hmm. And the woman says, like, oh, I prefer to think of us as partners. Ha-ha. Right. And then she kisses him on the cheek. Mm. But nobody, no, like, at, at no point do Noah and Rachel 
Like at that point, you've when you've seen Noah and Rachel together enough, you kind of get that there's some sort of awkwardness there. There's yeah. some sort of tension. And the way that she blows up at him, yeah, at the elevator. Yes, I, as we were watching, and I was yeah. like, that seemed a little bit harsh. Right, <laughs> right. What did he do? Yeah, and it's clearly because of yes. you know, yes, they have that moment together, which is this kind of playful flirting moment, mm-hmm. but is not based or built on any established stuff that you know of at this point. Right. But then she reacts in a way that, oh, clearly there's some sort of history here. Yep. And yeah, they, they, they it makes you work for it a little bit. Absolutely. And it's, and it's really interesting because like, I think this movie has its very big obvious themes and then it mm-hmm. has some like smaller, less noticeable themes. Mm-hmm. And one of them, I think, is like reluctant and or absentee fathers. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, because um, Mr. Morgan, Brian Cox, doesn't really seem like he ever wanted a child, but his wife really did. Yeah. And then the whole Samara thing. (laughs) Yeah. And Rachel and Noah and Aiden are kind of a mirror image of that family, Mm. except they, whereas the Morgans mrs morgan wanted a child and couldn't have one rachel maybe didn't necessarily want one but she did have one right and she stuck by her kid and in both cases that the father is sort of like i don't i don't i don't really want anything to do with this yeah like i'm not ready for this i'm not into this i'm stepping back yeah yeah. It's always a good excuse, isn't it? When you're like, yeah, yeah my dad was a jerk. So, yeah. so I'm going to be a jerk. I don't want to, I don't want you to have a jerk for a dad. It's like, oh, great. Thank you. Right. Yeah. I don't want to be like my old man. Well, you're halfway, yeah. you're technically yeah. your worst. Yes. I guess. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I think this movie's interesting in the sense of like all these little interpersonal things are out there for you to tease apart. Yeah. And then they are made more explicit in moments where it makes sense for them to be made more explicit. Like, yeah. When Aiden gets his hands on the tape and watches it and uh, Rachel comes out in the middle of the night and realizes he's watched it Mm. and she calls Noah and she's or Noah calls her and he's like, I actually I believe you that this tape is evil and it's trying to kill you and me. Um, And when she tells Noah he watched the tape and Noah's like, wait, who? She says our son. Mm. And that's the first moment you're like more than a third into the movie, probably about halfway And that's the first moment she's kind of acknowledged that, like, Noah's the dad. Yeah. But it makes sense in that moment because she's really upset and she wants him to feel the gravity of it, too. So rather than just saying Aiden, she says, our son. Yeah. So I I like those little things about this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I also, I think the, uh, the actual investigative, investigative, is that the word? Yep element of it it kind of actually reminded me a bit of of something like deep red yeah where it, it, they they really kind of get into the cleverness of how they get these clues and where they come from mm-hmm. and it's not just all books right you know there's some elements where it's tearing <laughs> wallpaper off a wall or yes. finding a secret room under the floorboards which yep. i love um and it's it, it was kind of it was it was triggering off some giallo kind of uh, buzzers in my brain. Yeah. But it also I didn't realize how kind of similar to like uh, uh, Drag Me to Hell this is. Yeah. Where it's it's so it's sort of a more um, I don't know I, I guess technically a more upbeat version when you get down to it because Drag Me to Hell like has this yeah. sheen of 
she's trying to be positive, but everything goes south. And this one kind of like is the opposite. To, yeah, to but, a it, but, extent, it's, but but it's funny because visually and like tonally, this one feels a little more serious and a little less. Oh yeah, pastiche. that's. I mean, uh, Drag Me to Hell is is basically torturing Alison Lohman for an hour yeah. and 30 minutes where this one is, <laughs> yes. is is involved more drag me to hell she kind of like half-heartedly attempts to mm-hmm. find out what's going on mm-hmm. this one is much more about that and usually yeah. I don't like that when your plot boils down to then she has to figure out what's happening yeah but I think putting the kid in there right really amps up the stakes yep and again the way that they send her down the path is yeah. legitimately pretty interesting yeah so much so that well it's 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 very interesting and okay so i i, I wanted to talk about the tone a bit mm-hmm. because it leans on the scary stuff in the beginning yes leans on the scary stuff in the end yes the middle is very it's not really scary but it's no. very tense mm-hmm. and it's very creepy. Yeah, there's a lot of mood and sort of mystery. And yeah, it's definitely much yeah. more of a mood piece. Foggy in the Pacific Northwest ocean scenes. And yeah. yeah, and I think I I think that the mileage could vary for that because yeah. if you're not into it, I think that uh, running down the clues thing could trend kind of boring. Yeah. Um. But I think that I think they do a pretty good job of keeping it interesting. I don't know about what you think. I think they do, and I think the way that they do that is maybe a little bit of a gimmick. But given the whole gimmick of this movie, it kind of works. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have had, you know, we watch the movie with Rachel all the way through. It seems like, yeah, like the the, the Samara's movie on the on the, on the VHS tape. And then for the rest of the movie we are watching <laughs> with Rachel in it, um, we are seeing the echoes of the things in that tape. Right. So as she's doing this sort of scavenger hunt for information on the tape and where it came from and who's in it and what the hell's going on with it and how to stop it, she's doing that sort of scavenger hunt while we're doing another sort of scavenger hunt of looking for the references to the things inside the tape. Right. As she's going forward. Right. Um, And I think that adds, you know, again, it's a little bit of a gimmick, but I think it adds interest for the viewer where you're sort of like, wait a minute, there's a ladder leaning up against the building. Mm. And that's like the ladder in the film and like um, the fly, the whole thing with the fly. Because do you notice there's a couple scenes where like, I know one where either she or Noah is going into an archive and a fly lands on the door and it flies in the same pattern that it flies on the screen in the movie. Oh, I didn't notice that part. Yeah, but there's all these little things like that happening sort of as she's progressing. Mm. Like once she finds the the kind of stretched out frame and she finds the lighthouse and like, you know, it's, it's like it's repeating all these scenes from the creepy tape. Yeah. Which I think can keep you... It keeps you engaged as a viewer who's more in it for the scares. Yeah. Because it shows you that she's building towards this climax at the end. Yeah, I think the tone element, the sort of creeping creeping dread that they have in the mm-hmm. middle is fairly important that they pull it off effectively. Yeah. Because as we were saying, as we were watching mm-hmm. it, I kind of lose track of the yeah. plot of this. <laughs> right Things. around the horse stuff. Yeah. I'm not in, totally sure. Like the the imagery is 
unnerving enough mm-hmm. that the, every time that they show Samara's mother dressed like she's in, in the 1800s, even yeah. though it's like 1975, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's unnerving enough that you see her and you kind of go, Ugh. yeah, and, and it doesn't matter that I don't know about her prize horses and they they started to die, yeah, and then I'm not even totally sure, honestly. Where Samara comes into the, I I, can, I think the, I kind of zoned out in a couple parts, but the implication and here here is we're getting to one of my central gripes about this movie. As much mm-hmm. as I love it, um, this movie goes to painstaking lengths to explain or tie up these little visual references from the movie, like everything in the tape, everything in the tape, yeah. um why Samara's doing this, why seven days, like all of it kind of, kind of ties up with this neat little bow. Mm-hmm. But those things are also like, like minor, mm. um, in terms of the grand scheme of things. Whereas minor, this... like my bloody Valentine minor. <laughs> no, minor, like small. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. Um, so like a short minor, a young minor. Ah, yes. Um, young adult, which would be a minor. Yes. Yes. Small. <laughs> but like, like there are big things in this movie that are sort of left as just like hand waved away. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, like, the, like there's a couple things where it's like, <sighs> so Samara was adopted mm-hmm. by the Morgans who lived out on this island and bred and, and showed prized horses. Right. Mm hmm. They don't know where Samar came from. Like, there's no talk about, like, her her biological family, right. her origins, whatever. Just that, you know, they, they went, they found this girl, somehow they adopted her. Mm-hmm. Once Samara is on the island with them, things start to go wrong. That's the implication. Mm. Is that something about Samara... She is able to send images into the minds of others. Mm-hmm. She starts doing it to the horses. Okay. Because her dad hates her and makes her sleep in the barn. And the horses keep her up at night. Mm-hmm. So she starts driving the horses crazy. So they will go run and jump off a cliff. Okay. To shut them up. <laughs> and also because she likes to hurt things. Sure. Which is said in, in, the, in the video they have of her being treated at the um, asylum. The further implication then becomes that she starts doing this to her parents as well. Mm-hmm. And that is why her and her mother get sent to the asylum. Okay. So that's all sort of in there. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when, when, when Brian Cox, Mr. Morgan, uh, is about to kill himself in the bathtub, he's talking to Rachel and he's kind of muttering to himself a lot. And he's saying things like, she'll never be able to whisper in my ear ever again. Um, you know, you, you, the things she'll show you, you wouldn't believe mm-hmm. like th- he's saying a lot of stuff like that. And then when you see the videotape of Samara in the asylum, they're holding up these pictures that almost look like they're on like x-ray film. Right. And they're saying, how did you make these? They're right. asking her that. And she's saying, I didn't make them. I just think about them and then they appear. Mm-hmm. So there's like this, you know, so there's this little girl who has these like psychic abilities and it's never explored. It's right. never explained. Did she really? Or 
Did the well, adults around her sort of read into her behavior or some other stuff that was happening? Like, was this her mom going through, her adopted mom going through some sort of psychosis mm-hmm. and just like, it just so happened that the horses got sick at the same time. And then there's also this, like, jumping a little bit ahead, like, it's never explained, like, does Aiden have some sort of psychic ability? It's, like, heavily implied in the movie that he does. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he's definitely got some sort of connection with Samara. Right. She seems to show him things more than she shows other people. Yeah. So, I don't know. And he and he seems to see Samara before he sees the video. Right. Because he draws the picture with the hair over the face, I think, before he sees the video. I, I, may, I don't remember that, but I remember when he's at the house for the funeral, mm-hmm. he sort of stares at the stairway and it re, they really quickly splice in. They reshow from the earlier scene with, with Katie and the friend, Katie's feet running up the stairs. Mm. And then he follows her back up the stairs. Like he follows like the image of her up the stairs and into her room. Right. And when he's in her room, the same thing she Katie had seen when she was looking at the TV before she died, that sort of like weird wobble in the air. Right. He sees it like go past him. Right, yeah. So, so like I don't know though. Like <laughs> that's all implied in there, but I don't know if I'm reading more into stuff they did just to be creepy. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> that kind of leads into the to another thing that I I want to talk about, which is the tape itself. Yes. Um because one of my questions coming out of this this mm-hmm. time is where did the tape come from? Not that it matters. Doesn't matter. It's like who who made the Necronomicon? Doesn't matter. <laughs> but it's a you know it's right. a, it's an interesting question. And I was reading up on some stuff, trying to parse mm-hmm. my way through the middle of the movie where I kind of mm-hmm. lost track of it. Mm-hmm. And everything that I saw said that she makes the tape right with her mind. I guess yes. But I, I wasn't sure if that meant she just fully form tulpas this tape into existence or if she's doing her x-ray thing onto some videotape somewhere. I think that's the implication yeah. is that because it's film, it's a medium she can use mm-hmm. because she does it in the room above the well where she is trapped. Right. Right. That's where the tape really comes from. It's yeah. cabin 12 at, th- the, at the campground. I think the thing is, I think what it comes down to ultimately mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. she she clearly does this right. after she's dead. Yes. So yes. whatever mutant power she has right. are amplified by the fact that she's now a, a, a spirit with an, an, yes. uh, at, that is not at rest. Right. And so it doesn't really matter when or where she does it. <laughs> Maybe True. it was just maybe that blank tape that's been there in the the thing at the cabin place was just maybe it used to be Bambi. I don't know. And then she right. just there, there was a tape there and she's like that one. And then she yeah. like overwrites it. <laughs> right. Or it's a blank tape because they said they were trying to record a football game while they were there. Yeah. Maybe they there brought the blank tape with them. And yeah. She was just like no football game for you. Yeah. Only death. That's that's interesting too. I mean how long has the tape been there? Is Is this the first time this has happened? All this, is, these events? Maybe. Yeah. I think it's entirely possible. Does that guy who works there, does he realize people, some people just don't come back because they die after Seems seven like days? Seems like some people just don't come back from there in general since they yeah. run away without paying. That's true. <laughs> so uh, that implies people have watched the tape, right? Because I feel like that's, 
he's. I don't. I or, don't know. or is it just something about that cabin? Obviously, because she's I, buried I think under. it could just be the argument that it's sort of this little cabin campground in the middle of nowhere, and like teens come out to fuck around, yeah. and then rather than paying for it, they just leave in the middle of the night. I you know what I mean? I assumed it was like haunted house type stuff where they stay, but it's haunted, so then they run away. Maybe I I I I didn't get that vibe, mm-hmm. but I don't think that. I don't think that's impossible. Yeah. Like, I think that's a very valid interpretation. Yeah. Um, personally, I still think the tape itself works. Like oh, as, me too. As a, like a, yeah. as a as a pretty creepy, frightening artifact. Yeah. Oh, I think so too. Like, I mean, finding... I think if you show this to a twelve-year-old nowadays, they're still going to be kind of like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> that's it. That's that's interesting, right? Because yeah. does this does this work still? with a younger generation that doesn't has never interacted with a VHS tape mm. because I feel like everything is comprehensible enough that I can't see why yeah. it wouldn't. Yeah. Cause these things do exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously it probably doesn't have the same impact as it did when VHS tapes were still, out there because i guess one of the things yeah. is when they put this movie on vhs uh when you played the video from the very beginning hmm. the first thing on the tape that played was the actual mm. r- ring samara video mm-hmm. and then it had a phone ringing so- sound ah. and then it would go into trailers and then the movie cool so clearly they're <laughs> taking advantage of the medium being about the medium right um but yeah i, I wonder I, I i always i try to think back to something like evil dead mm-hmm. where in 1981, mm-hmm. finding a reel-to-reel tape player in a basement is not really that on. Un- like that's a that's a, a form of media that probably still was relatively prevalent, or like yeah. wasn't. It wasn't um, like Ash doesn't pick it up and go, oh, "What's this?" You know, right? It's not like he found a phonograph, right? Right. And but having not watched Evil Dead till the mid 90s mm-hmm. if not later depending on when i watched it mm-hmm. i didn't not understand what was going on yeah because i didn't have any personal experience with a real to real tape machine you know right i i think i think at this point it might actually now cuz it's been more than 20 years mm. um i think it might be an old enough form of media that there's something inherently creepy about how old it is and how yeah, out of date it is. I think so too. You know what I mean? Like m- maybe 10 years ago, it would have just been like VHS tapes. Those are dumb. Nobody yeah. has those anymore. But Titanic. Now, yeah. <laughs> but now we're, we're far enough away from it that it's kind of come back around to being um, both romanticized and also creepy. Yeah. The same way like vinyl records, you know, like nowadays everybody collects records again, but 10, 15 years ago, they, you know, some people did, but most people didn't. Yeah. And a record being played in a movie would be sort of eerie, you know, because of its age and because of the fact that then, you know, this thing has just been sitting waiting for you for right. 15, 20, 25 years. Yeah. Um, I still think the, the tape itself, the actual mm-hmm. set of images yeah. is still very good. Like it's very yeah, yeah, creepy. Yeah. I do too. It's very effective. That's what I was kind of saying earlier. Yeah. It's like, I, I still think it works as like, an unsettling series of images yeah. <laughs> that you, if you just, 
if you were going through your parents' basement, you were helping them clean out their basement, and you found a VHS tape and put it, found an old VCR and put it in and saw that, yeah, I think it would still be like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it's it's always interesting to me when, you know, I, I feel like we've talked about this before. I can't remember what we are talking about, but... Um, Watching a movie is a very is an inherently a voyeuristic activity, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why when you break the fourth wall, mm-hmm. it's it either can kind of take you out of it or it can add to a joke or something. Yeah. But when you break the fourth wall in a movie and it's scary, mm-hmm. for some reason it's so much more unnerving because it's like the thing that you're watching has caught you. Yeah. And I found in this tape when she's brushing her hair. And her eyes kind of click over right into the barrel of the camera. Yeah. It's very, you kind of get shivers a little bit because it's very yeah. effective. It is. It is. And she has some of, yeah, she, that actress who, who plays Mrs. Morgan has like one of those faces mm. where she's not, she's not what you might necessarily call a, a traditionally beautiful woman, but mm-hmm. she's a very, she's still a very striking woman, you know, and she's got like this old timey kind of look about her sure. and yeah so when she sort of trains her eyes on you through the mirror or over her shoulder it feels very intense yeah yeah it feels like somebody looking back through time at you and that can be so much more effective than going over the top with a scare like I, yeah i still like her face doesn't melt off and she starts screaming right. she just looks at you i still think even though some some of our listeners claim that this doesn't actually exist, but I've tried mm. to point it out that it does. The final shot in The Innkeepers, when you see mm. that very faint ghost mm-hmm. who then just turns over and looks down the camera is mm-hmm. very scary, I yes. find. yeah. And it, there's something about it that just, when it's done right, is so much more unnerving yeah. than a lot of special effects or anything like that. Absolutely, yeah. So how do you feel, we, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, how do you feel about the sort of false ending, the, yeah. the turn in the sort of fourth, fifth act? I, I'm i of two minds about it. Mm. Because on the one hand, it feels like we're in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. We got to send them out. We finished our story, mm-hmm. but we got to give them another scare at the end. Otherwise, mm. it's kind of kind of going out on a, on a bit of a low note. Yeah. And it feels a little bit like maybe it was put in there for that reason, but on yeah. the other hand, it's so good. Yeah. And I it's I think I've said this before, but I, there's a there's a screenwriting podcast that I listen to sometimes. Hmm. Um and where he the guy who 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 does the show talks about how uh um in a when you're writing a, a, a screenplay or a story or a concept, mm. anything that can happen should happen. Mm. So if you're he, the, the example he was using was uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, mm-hmm. where the, that whole movie is about Mary Elizabeth Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh, being worried that there are aliens and that the world has exploded or whatever, and yes. then eventually she gets out and she thinks, oh. No, everything is fine. Mm-hmm. But then they hit you. No, the aliens actually did come. Right. right. <laughs> and, and this is one of those things where they tease you with the video for so long. Mm-hmm. If you got out of this movie and you didn't see what happens, I right. think it would be extremely disappointing. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I like 
you know, you, you brought up Drag Me to Hell earlier, and I, I like that this movie sort of does a similar thing to what Drag Me to Hell does, which is it, it resists the happy ending. Yeah, it's it does kind of like have its it, cake and eat it, it, eat it too a little bit. It the difference yeah. a little bit. Um, yeah. this, is, it, this is like if Drag Me to Hell ended with Justin Long being dragged to hell. Sure. Because yeah, the main yeah. character gets out of the situation. Sure. But they also pay off the concept, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. I, th- I think the difference for me is that in Drag Me to Hell, the main character really only wants to save herself. Sure. Yeah. Whereas in The Ring, Rachel is much more interested in saving Aiden. Yeah. And she can't do that if she's dead. <laughs> so True. part of her motivation for staying alive and figuring it out, a, bi- a big chunk of it is to save her son. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I do I do still think that the ending the ending is bittersweet at best. Right. You know, like Noah dies and Rachel and Aiden live, but the way in which they live seems to be that they have to make a copy of the tape and show it to somebody. Yeah, that's the one that I'm that I wasn't sure about. Is it yeah. something you actually have to pay forward or is it just a matter of you make a copy, put it back on the shelf and then, you know, the implication seems to be that you have to keep it going. Yeah. Because I think Aiden even says, what about the person we show it to? Mm. Right. And yeah. there's sort of no, there's really like no answer to it. Yeah. Um, Do you think that they show it to the girlfriend? Because that was my <laughs> takeaway was that she was going to show it to the girlfriend. That would be really cruel because the girlfriend, Noah's girlfriend slash assistant slash partner slash whatever. Um she really do anything wrong. Right, yeah. <laughs> and when, um, well, all right, backing up two steps, Rachel and Noah find, they end up back at the campground at the cabin. They, through a series of goofy flailings, find a well yes. under the cabin. Yeah. Great sequence. That whole sequence is really good. I really like it. I really love that part. Turns um, into... Final destination a bit with like the, <laughs> with the nails TV. coming up. Yeah, and, yeah the TV sliding down to knock the, the the TV of all things, of course. Yes, being the thing to knock Rachel into the well. Mm-hmm. Um, and while she's down there, she sort of has the vision of Samara's death, mm-hmm. and by death I mean murder, and how her mother thought she killed her, and then dumped her body in a well. But it turns out that she knocked her out, and then dumped her body in a well, and then she died. Yes, so that she's trapped alive in the well for some period of time. And the implication is that because Rachel has found Samara's remains and is going to give her a proper burial, that she has done the right thing. Mm -hmm. The twist we get from Aiden the next day is you weren't supposed to help her. Right. And then we get the scramble of, oh, no, this means it's Noah's final day. Mm -hmm. And he gets, as you put it, ringed. Yes. (laughs) And on, like, Rachel goes up to find him to try and see if he's okay. She finds him dead. And she's like very traumatized to be fair. But then she like she's leaving the apartment. She sees the girlfriend coming in and yeah. she doesn't like warn her. Right. She just sort of lets her go find her boyfriend horribly mutilated in death. Right. Like it's kind of it's rough kind choice. Of, yeah, it's kind of fucking cruel, <laughs> you know? I mean, I have to I have to assume she does that because the girlfriend might assume that she killed him maybe i and and she's just super focused on i have to get home to my son i i don't know how to stop this now why aren't i dead why is noah dead how do i prevent aiden from being dead yeah my so i guess my other issue Hmm. if you want to call it an issue because ultimately i don't really think it matters but 
does it not sort of invalidate the entire rest of the story if they if Naomi Watts figures out what's going on, mm-hmm. puts Samara to rest, and then it, then Samara's like, psych, I'm just going to keep killing people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I, I don't know if invalidates is the right word. Yeah. You know, it's, it's cause like Naomi Watts is just, just follows her own view of what she thinks is happening sure i mean for most of the movie she thinks it's anna morgan it's the mom Mm -hmm. who's sending this message through the tape she doesn't even know samara exists until like right before she gets on the boat right yeah for most of it she thinks it's the mom and then she sort of realizes that samara exists yep so i don't know if like invalidating is quite the right word it's more sort of like rachel made a series of incorrect assumptions yeah, I guess so. And a lot of the stuff in like the in the recordings of Samara is she she even says like when the the psychiatrist or the doctors or whatever are like, "Well, you don't want to hurt anybody." Mm-hmm. And she's like, "But I do." Yeah. I do want to hurt them and I'm not going to stop. Yeah. So it's sort of like yeah, she kind of does tell you that like I'm just a psychotic little psychic girl. Yeah, I guess I guess who it's who wants revenge. I guess the disconnect for me is and I'm not saying that this makes it wrong or anything, but usually, traditionally, this mm-hmm. type of ghost story wraps up once you finish the business of the, the spirit. You know what I right. mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. And finishing the business would be sort of like setting the record straight on her death. Right. Yeah. And if if what they're going for is sort of a fake out mm. there, mm-hmm. I don't know if it totally plays yeah um i think what they are going for is a bit of a fake out don't yeah you? they must be they must be because i it's the only way that that stuff really tracks for me is yeah. if the idea is that they are you you along with rachel are assuming that this is going to stop things right you're sort of like, lulled nope, into a sense of security yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like you said, then it would be disappointing to end the movie there right. and not see yeah. the payoff of There's, like, yeah, you've watched this movie and now. Have you seen The Changeling with George C. Scott Haunted <sighs> House movie? No, I have not. Okay. We're going to come back and talk about this after we do that movie. Okay. For reasons you'll understand when you watch it. Alrighty then. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the ending, that final scene... I very specifically remember watching that mm-hmm. final scene, and when she comes out of the TV, yeah, is, her coming out of the TV was scary enough. Yeah. But when she does the the jump forward, yeah, that shit was scary. As I hell. remember that really getting to me and everyone else in the movie theater. Yeah, <laughs> she still looks surprisingly good. Yeah, like for yeah, two, the, for two thousand and two effects, like of of her coming out of the TV and sort of having the like staticky, flickery yeah. vibe about her, I still think it looks pretty decent. I wish they had done something different with her face. Yeah, because when her hair parts, she just sort of looks like a muppet that someone left this in the like water too long. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it looked like a kid with gross makeup on yeah <laughs> i wish they'd pushed it further and made her like yeah. i don't know a skull or something I don't know. yeah more like the faces of the people she leaves behind yeah something you know? like that something a little bit scarier than just yeah. sort of like a huh. yeah <laughs> uh, big angry eyebrows yes mm. um <clears throat> but yeah i i think i think over overall do you think this movie still works 
I do. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's it's difficult to divorce it from its cultural impact. Yeah. Um, because like you said, it really did kick off sort of like a whole subgenre of these like, you know, East Asian adaptation movies or, mm-hmm. or importing them straight in because it was like, this was the moment people realized that like, oh, Japanese movies have some like, like Japanese have some great horror movies and that I think led to people realizing that like Korea has some great horror movies mm. and wait, does that maybe mean other cultures beyond them even have some great horror movies? Let's and, not get crazy. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But I do think it's sort of, yeah, like the, the, the little girl in a wet or dirty white dress with the long dark hair in front of her face mm-hmm. is now like, a cliched trope in haunted houses Mm -hmm. and spoof movies and Halloween costumes. They're everywhere. Yeah. And this movie is why, but I, I still think it works. I still think it's like an interesting and, and I think surprisingly well-crafted movie. Yeah. It's very well put together for a PG 13 2002 adaptation of a Japanese movie. <laughs> yeah, I think this is kind of what you. This is the vibe you're go. You need to push for in a in if you want a PG-13 movie to really be effective. Yeah, you know this kind of feels like the Omen. Actually, it's probably more, closer to the Omen. Yeah. Than anything else. Yeah. Because the Omen has the same kind of tracking down of of uh, of story about what happened and all this kind of stuff right it's punctuated by sort of the these these big scary moments but not like it's not this sort of relentless drive of like you know like a slasher film where like the murderer kills one person at the beginning and then they kill another person and then all of a sudden they're killing everybody in sight yeah and you know i i have nothing against pg-13 horror movies because if you can scare people you can scare people yeah but I, I feel like a lot of them have a tendency to get neutered a bit or mm. they don't usually end up PG-13 tends to mean like we just took the blood out and that's right. not the vibe that you need to be going for. Sure. And I th- I think personally, I think one of the reasons this one still works is that you don't need blood. Yeah. Really? Like, like you, it's not. You know, it's not the ghost that makes people's heads explode. Right. <laughs> now, that's a great title for a right. movie. <laughs> Especially if you say it in, like, Italian or something. Yes. I yeah. I actually wonder. I have a... I would not be surprised if they... This movie got an R rating on the first pass. Because mm. I feel like... You know how sometimes they they can go R with something just because it feels bad? Yeah. Like, the, there's something weird about the feeling yeah, of it? Yeah, it makes them feel not happy. Yeah, <laughs> I... And that plus how quickly they mm-hmm. show you the messed up faces mm-hmm. makes me feel like the MPAA was like, we need you to cut five frames out of when they show the girl in the closet. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, I could imagine that. But I but I still, I think this is one of those movies where it doesn't need to be rated R to be. No, not at all. No, scary. No. Like, no. I don't think it would gain anything yeah. by, being, by being pushed up to that. I don't think so either. Yeah. Uh, so this was oh the one thing I was going to mention because mm. this is based on a the first book of a series of novels mm-hmm. Japanese novels yes um, it was made into a television movie in 1995 mm. before Ringu that's so weird to me yeah 
that there was a TV movie version of this? Well, the crazy thing is I think it's three books mm. and all three books had been adapted before this was made in Japan. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they had already done adaptations of basically everything in, in, in Japan Wow. before they even did this one. And then mm-hmm. the Japanese version of, what's name, Sadako, I think, or something? Yes. Is, uh, she's lived on in other films. There's actually one mm-hmm. called, um, that I really wanted to watch, but I heard was really bad, called uh, The Grudge versus The Ring. Oh, <laughs> boy. It's Is Sadako. like a Freddy versus Jason kinda, yeah. style. It's Sadako from The Ring versus the other long-haired ghost from The Grudge. Yes. Um, but I guess I haven't watched Ringu in a long time. Yeah, I haven't either. But apparently the psychic power aspect mm. is a lot more present in, in that story and in the Interesting. book. And it's hmm. funny because as, as we were talking about that, I was thinking um, it feels like the element that they, when they translated it to the American version, they're kind of like, we don't really know what to do with this. Let's mm-hmm. sort of, we'll put it in there, but let's kind of. Push it into the background. Push it into the background a bit yeah, and focus yeah. on some of the other stuff. But yeah. I guess there's there's more psychic link stuff in, in the Japanese. It's been a very long time since I've seen it. Yeah. And I guess the um the the protagonists are kind of flipped in Ringu, where it's oh. uh the husband, I think, is the more um aggressive's not the right word, but he's the driver of the yeah. story. Sure. Uh, the the Rachel analog is still the person who's like the point of contact for the audience, but mm. I believe it's her husband in the movie who is driving, doing much more of the proactive stuff. Yeah, interesting. Uh, music by Hans Zimmer. It's the first yeah. first time he and Gorb Verbinski worked together. They worked together again on Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm. Uh, it's a good soundtrack. It's a good score. Yeah, yeah, it works really well for the movie. I think the creepy noises and and, and stuff that they do with the video. With the, mm-hmm. with the tape work mm-hmm. really well. That's sort of like you can even hear it from the other room and know that somebody's watching it. Mm. The, like sounds that yes. go with it, I think are really well done. Yep. And Hans uses employs uh, everybody's favorite horror <laughs> movie music motif, the DSRA. Yep. <laughs> uh, which <laughs> gotta you know, have it. If you've watched The Shining, you'll never be able to not spot that theme. But yep. um, yeah, I think that's gonna be it. This is number one ninety two, I believe, mm-hmm. on our list. How do you feel about the placement? I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. You know, I, I I think I think this movie is easy to remember as a lot scarier than it is. Yeah. But the moments that are scary are still iconic enough. Mm. And like we were saying earlier, it had a big enough cultural impact that I think it belongs on the list. You know, like like yeah. like kicking off the whole subgenre of of Japanese and 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 South Korean imports. And just sort of the holdover that, you know, everybody's had for so long about it. I think it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, 192 feels right to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I could see it. if it shifted into the 180s because a couple things moved around. I'd be like, sure. Yeah, but, but... it's it's a it's a it's a tough one. Right. Because because yeah. I think, yeah, I think the cultural impact is probably mm-hmm. bigger Mm-hmm. Not to say that it's a bad movie because obviously it's no. it's good. Yeah. But does it get more points for being this door opening? I kind of think it does. Yeah. You know, like I think if if again if we're taking this mo- this list as the two hundred greatest horror movies of all time, you yeah. have to take into account the 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 longevity 
of the impact it had on on the people who saw it. Yeah. So I think this one this one's got a pretty good recognition even now. Yeah, yeah, it's it had two sequels. It had Ring 2 and Rings. And mm. uh I don't think anybody watched them. Nope. Maybe Ring 2, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't I don't, I don't remember I, ever seeing it. I barely remember Rings coming out. So I didn't though. I don't think I even knew it did. Yeah. I you know, I think again, I think it sort of goes to show that updating the media yeah. To try and be modern, it just yeah. doesn't work sometimes. Right. You know? Not if there's not a good storytelling reason for it. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's going to do it. I hit the randomizer button. Beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, 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 boop. And it landed on number 183, which I'm very excited about, which is Night of the Comet. Ooh. Which is a movie I've been wanting to watch for a very long time, but haven't because yeah. I've been assuming we're going to get to it on the list. And cool. now we have. Yay. So next time we will be watching Night of the Comet. Thank you guys for listening. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the Penske file where you can follow Amanda and I as we cover video nasties this year. Uh, January was Dario Argento's Tenebrae. February was Possession. Mm -hmm. And uh, March is Andy Warhol's Frankenstein (laughs) or also known as, well, more primarily known as Paul Morrissey's Flesh for Frankenstein. Which uh, I'm excited to say. So <laughs> very difficult to see. You can't stream it. Mm-hmm. At least not traditionally. Mm-hmm. If you go to archive.org, mm. there, you can find it on there to watch. Cool. Um, but I didn't want to do that because that sucks. Because there's a better way. Yes. And so I picked up the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray, <laughs> which comes with Flesh for Frankenstein in 3D. So Amanda and I will be yes. watching this movie in 3D. I, I previewed a little bit of it. I've never seen it before. We're going to see some boobs. So uh, Three-dimensional boobs. Yes. <laughs> Which is a first. Also, you know what's really cool Clay, about you it? You just said you've never seen... Not in three dimensions. No, never. <laughs> um, what else is really cool about it? Two and four, yes, but not oh, three. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, it it comes with two versions of 3D, mm. so it comes with the stand the television style of 3D, mm-hmm. as well as it comes with red and blue 3D glasses, and you can watch it that way as well. I tried to watch a bit of it; it's very difficult to do. Yeah, that sounds both great and nauseating. It's cool for like a few minutes, but I don't think I could watch the whole movie that way. Yeah. But anyway, uh, that's what we'll be doing next month on Patreon in the month of March. Mm. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Clay. And we'll see you next time with Night of the Comet. Seven days. Technically 14 because we do this every other week. But I, right, I get, what, right, you I get what you're let's saying. Let's just sign off. I get sign what off, you're saying. Sign off. You ruined it. 14, 14 days. It's not, not quite...